0: Welcome to the Rural Births Podcast. This podcast was created to record and share stories from the many rural women who have birthed, to allow them to voice their experience and learn from them. I want rural women who are pregnant planning to get pregnant or entering their postpartum period to feel supported and know that, although care may be via distance, there are options. This podcast is produced on Yuin Country. We acknowledge the innate birthing wisdoms and traditions held by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, the traditional custodians of this land. We remember the first women of this nation, the custodians of land and birth, who birthed on country in culture and tradition. Here, as we share in stories, stories of birth, preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum experiences from remote, rural, and outer regional communities. May we remember and stand for the cultural significance of birth, women's business, and birthing on country. May we nurture and support women through this rite of passage as we hear of possibilities ignited and limitations created. May we share in the power of storytelling and memory as we listen and learn from these birth stories. And may we always remember the ancestral wisdoms belonging to the country these birth stories occur on today. interview is with Miffany Bryant from Mudgee in New South Wales. When Miff became pregnant, she was already living and working as an occupational therapist in Mudgee. In Mudgee, their pregnancy care is available at the public hospital in town, or you can access it outside of the area in larger rural cities like Dubbo. Mudgee Hospital is serviced by GP obstetricians, and so Miffany began her GP shared care journey for the duration of her pregnancy. Miff had a lovely pregnancy and experienced quality care. She waited for the onset of natural labour, but at 41 weeks, two days gestation, she opted for induction. Miff was induced through breaking of her waters and the syntocin drip. After several hours of labouring, she didn't experience an increase in dilation, and so her daughter Lucy was born via C-section showing that even at the rural Mudgee Hospital, they can do all kinds of different things. Thank you to Miffany for sharing her birth story and highlighting how much can be made available locally with a dedicated rural maternity facility and quality rural care professionals. Off by um, you introducing yourself. So, who are you? Where are you from? And who's your little person?
1: Sure. Well, my name's Miff. I live with my partner Glynn in Mudgie in central Western New South Wales. And we have little Lucy who is nine months old.
0: When did you move to Mudgie?
1: Uh, so, I moved here in 20, October of 2017. So, I've been here, yeah, a little over two and a half years. Um, my partner, Glenn lived here for about eight years prior to that. But I moved up here from Sydney. So I'd been in Sydney for about 16 years. Cool. Yeah.
0: So when you fell pregnant, um, mm-hmm. what kind of resources did you discover were available? Or did you already kind of know? And... Well,
1: I actually was a little bit blind. So having lived in Sydney for as long as I did, a lot of my friends... Um, had sort of had babies while I lived there, and had all sort of birthed at metro hospitals and had gone through obstetricians, and that was sort of just the way I had assumed that it would happen for me too. But then, of course, life chucks in curve bends and stuff. So I ended up in Mudgee with my partner, and was really shocked because here in Mudgee, we're very fortunate that our local hospital, Mudgee Hospital, does have a maternity unit. Yeah. So I can deliver in Mudgee, but there's no obstetricians. so oh, really? None. <laughs> so my Lucy was actually delivered by my GP, who has obviously advanced obstetric skills. So there's, I think, maybe four of our local GPs have um, what's called advanced obstetric skills. So I think they've done a little bit of further study, um, but yeah. obstetricians. Um, but, yeah, so
2: wow.
1: it was a really different way of thinking and I think it was more my way of thinking I'd always just assumed that I would see a private obstetrician yeah Um, yeah so because I was quite low risk I was able to deliver here in Mudgee and my my GP delivered her for me Um, if I had had any go to either Dubbo or Bathurst which are about an hour and a half away and they obviously have obstetric services there.
0: Yeah. Okay. So if you had had to travel out of area with that, um, like there's an ambulance service and stuff
2: that could yeah. take you through. So
1: had anything gone wrong, um, yeah. there's road ambulances to Dubbo or Bathurst or there's um, Chopper that goes to Sydney. So if, there need, yeah. if, if anything had been wrong with Barb, she would have been airlifted to Sydney, uh, with Me kids, I'd say. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: So did it feel quite remote coming from that Sydney perspective as like you started to navigate things and from what you'd seen before, were you kind of feeling like, wow, I'm far away from
2: what I'd anticipated?
1: Definitely. I think it was more my um, expectations and perceptions too, having lived in Sydney as long as I had and just that being the experience that I. I did feel yeah quite quite removed from all of that and initially prior to sort of getting into the process of my pregnancy and care I did sort of wonder whether or not I would miss out on uh, or that my care wouldn't be as good I suppose as someone living in a metro centre Um, but and it was more girlfriends of mine and pardon me acquaintances of mine were horrified when I would say that my GP was delivering the baby because I suppose (laughs) when we think of it you just think that's where you go when you have a runny nose or if you need a sick note or you know yeah you don't necessarily think of that being the same person that's going to be in the room yeah delivering Bob so yeah you know, but once I got into it, I like I can't fault the care that I received. He was, my GP's brilliant, the midwives are brilliant. I did do shared care, so it was yeah, totally public, yeah. yeah, through the hospital.
0: So that means you like went to see your midwife at the hospital and then like a fortnight later you might see your GP, you were swapping yeah, between. Yeah, cool, cool.
1: Yeah, so I, yeah. I had monthly appointments with the midwife initially up until maybe third trimester and then they were sort of fortnightly. And yeah. Then, yeah, the doctor's appointments were, you know, interspersed in there to and fro.
0: So. I did something quite similar, except I had a local GP as well as the and GP. So it's was moving between three people. But the nice thing I always found about the local GP is they feel like a mate. Like I almost feel like I should bring them a cuppa. We should sit down. We yeah. should hang out. <laughs> like I, I wanted to actually, when my son was born, go back and be like, here he is. Let's play
1: with
0: him. That's right. <laughs> it and has it, got a community aspect.
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. And I actually had the added level that I work at Muddy Hospital. I'm an occupational therapist there. So my personal doctor, my GP, is also a work colleague because he's one of the doctors at the hospital. Yes. Yeah. So it was, it was a real sense of community and the midwives, although I don't work in the maternity unit, the midwives I know from being around the hospital. It's a really small hospital, so how many yeah, births it was
0: I find of there at Munchie. Uh,
1: so there's two birth suites. Um, yeah. I can't remember the exact details. Yeah. There's two birth suites and six six um, postnatal rooms, maybe. Or yeah. six other beds. Um, but yeah, like it I think sometimes they can get three births a week, sometimes they can get seven in a weekend, like I can't remember yeah. the exact details, Well, it's not a – there's a lot of babies being born in Mudgy, but it's never – you'd never turn up and not get a bed, or well, very, very rarely would you have to wait yeah. and –
2: yeah. And
1: share. Yeah. Um, they've just rebuilt a new Mudgy hospital, but where I went, which is the, the existing hospital, it's certainly got no bells and whistles. Like, it, it has okay. a birthing – like it has a bath and a shower in one of the birth suites, not in the other. Yeah. But it, for me, it was all about the care and the community and that sort of stuff. And it yeah. was second to none. Like, I don't know. How many like
2: midwives I'm... would they have?
1: I don't know. So there's, I suppose, three on every shift. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. And were you always changing, like, different midwife every appointment?
1: Yeah, so um, there were, yeah, I probably saw in terms of my antenatal appointments, I probably saw four or five different midwives um, and then they were, luckily they were the the same ones that were there when I was delivering. Um, Yeah. I sort of knew a lot of faces and, yeah, it was nice. It was quite community-focused and being quite small, they were always really up to date with our notes and never in a rush. And it was, it was nice to sort of feel supported in that, I suppose. Not yeah. Never, you know, like I wasn't sitting in a stark hospital waiting room or a doctor's waiting room. They were never running late. It was always just. You know.
0: That yeah. is a nice feature. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I I was very fortunate that I was working there, so I could just pop into the clinic for my appointment time and then go straight.
2: Back oh, during work, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> top that's notch. Yeah, that's it. So um, it's pretty good.
0: So, when did you kind of start your pattern of care? Like, did you when you fell pregnant? Did you jump in straight in the first trimester, or did you wait a while? Did you go straight to the GP and sign up for the hospital? Like, how did it go?
1: Yeah, well, I suppose. There aren't a lot of other options if you want to deliver in Mudgee. So when I first found out I was pregnant from like the home pregnancy test, yeah, I just went to the GP test to confirm it, and from there we had the discussion on that day when I'd gone and said I think I might be pregnant. He'd sort of laid through what the the um the options were. Mm -hmm. Um, so the options were go privately to an obstetrician and not deliver in Mudgee. So to deliver in or Sydney or wherever I wanted to. Yeah. Um, or I could go entirely through him to have all my appointments with him or I could go entirely through the midwives or I could do shared care and shared care just seems like the best option for me. Um, I, I wanted to deliver in Mudgee if I could just because it's where I live and I didn't want to have to travel for, Appointments and when I had to birth, if I didn't have to, Uh, and I do feel really fortunate as a a country town that we do have a maternity service because a lot of places don't, as you know, living in Broadwood. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. A
1: lot of places don't, and you do have to travel. So, I yeah, I was happy to deliver here if I could, and made that choice here really early on, probably at five or six weeks. I decided I would go shared care. Yeah. Which is yeah.
0: And were you able to do things like ultrasounds and stuff in Mudgee as well?
1: Yeah, so there there is a um, a radiology department at the hospital, um, and then there's also a private X-ray place. So between oh, yeah. the two, I would go just between them. Um, the bonus of it at the hospital was that it was all bulk well built. so if you could get into the hospital, yeah, you pay anything. Um, but the availability of that wasn't great. They don't have a full 5 day week service. It's sort of, yeah, you know, Thursday mornings and Wednesday afternoons and every second Tuesday or something. So you sort of...
2: Yeah. Is I it just, someone
0: who drops in and travels between different hospitals?
1: I believe so. I think they might be based out of Dubbo and then just sort of come yeah. in. Because it's... Um, they do have, like, an emergency. Like, if you needed a... If you broke your arm and you had an X-ray. But in yeah. terms of a sonographer to do... Yeah. you know, it's a yeah. bit different. So, yeah, so I, I would sort of go between either the hospital ultrasound place or the private ultrasound. But I was I was fortunate. I actually had quite a lot of ultrasounds because for a while there they thought bub was um, small, like growth restricted. Yeah. Um. I he was really good about just offering me. Um, progress ultrasounds i suppose he just kept a really close eye on it which was good yeah.
0: yeah yeah that's fantastic really great to have that available there as well like any way that you're able to minimize you having to travel out of area is a good thing i think really
2: yeah
1: did you have to
0: travel was... out of area for any like appointments or was it pretty much all facilitated through Mudgy?
1: yeah so um Mudgee will like obviously does have the maternity unit, but it's really only for fairly straightforward pregnancies. So had I had, if I'd been really overweight, which luckily I'm not, so they yeah. have a BMI limit, um, if I'd had gestational diabetes, if I'd had anything requiring further obstetric care, I would have had to travel. Yeah, um, luckily I wasn't in any of those at-risk categories, so all of my care was in my G, and the majority of it was bulk build. That was public hospital, which was really great because it, yeah. it, it provides an equity care to everyone.
2: Because
1: um, mm. I, I, I do think sometimes if they didn't have a good public service here, there would be a real paucity for people who can't afford to travel or to provide, you know, the money for an obstetrician. So yeah. it was good. I'm, I'm thought... not like I would have been able to pay for an obstetrician, but fortunately I was mm. able to. Use the public system too.
0: Yeah, it left me after birth just like it was probably my first major encounter with public health. Like, I well, I'd just never been in hospital overnight or anything like that before, and then I was just kind of sitting back, like, it wasn't a holiday, but I was just amazed that it was free. Like, I
2: know, I was
0: like, Are you sure I can have dinner? That's
2: right.
1: I've worked in public health for 15 years I guess I've always worked for New South Wales Health and so I know how health works and I know that you have access to quite incredible services in terms of all the people that come and see you and but I had the same moment I thought gosh we're lucky to live in a country where this is free and I've had really great care I have a healthy baby and I'm getting three meals a day and a cup of tea and I'm staying here and they're looking after me yeah we're pretty it's pretty cool really yeah
0: um did they offer classes and stuff prenatal classes
1: so there was a um yeah they did antenatal classes at the hospital yeah um so I think it was maybe over three weeks like uh, three hours on a Wednesday night over three weeks I think I um I didn't do any other classes I was at one point sort of crossing up doing, looking into hypnobirth or calm birth. Um, yeah. in the end, it was just um, accessibility. There's now a woman in town who does calm birth, I think. Yeah. But they were all in Sydney or they were in the Southern Highlands and it, was, it just didn't work out in terms of
2: yeah.
1: getting the time to get away and go. So that's one thing actually that I suppose we, we didn't have mm. great access to was those external birth classes i think you can now do them i think you can do them online
2: yeah well um,
0: covid has kind of inspired that even more <laughs> like everyone's navigating all the different softwares now going oh it's, it's not actually too bad
1: yeah that's right i yeah so but the antenatal classes at the hospital were they were good they were really good yeah um i do feel like antenatal classes though and i can only speak for the ones i attended they're so focused on the birth and not yeah. on the parenthood or, or the transition to motherhood and breastfeeding and how you're going to feel after you've given birth. I've found that there was a lot of focus on pain relief in labour and yeah, that sort of stuff and not so much on what's going to happen. So
0: it's like they do three classes and there's totally space for a fourth one or a fifth one. Like you could really open those doors for people.
1: I feel like, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be, I think that's something that I've, I've often thought I would like more information about because it sort of feels like you, you get all this information and support about the birth mm. and then particularly rurally there aren't that many people around so you sort of have to try and hodgepodge together your own little village of yeah and i maybe i found it more that i am quite new to this town so i didn't have a i didn't have my village here my yeah. family don't a lot of my friends don't live here so in terms of those very early days just yeah getting information on what's normal and what's not and so i think you you and i have spoken privately about um the forums like internet forums on your motherhood some of them like they can be the best support ever but they yeah. can be really they can be really damaging if you're in a vulnerable state and you're reading stuff that you think oh that's not what my experience is and am I doing it wrong and,
2: mm. so,
1: and that can so, yeah, I think,
0: you come up just seeing someone hit a milestone and then you're like oh that that hasn't happened yeah oh gosh now true. is everything wrong
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right and I, um, I did, it took a while for me to for feeding, just to, to sort of click. Yeah. Um, I had, uh, in the end, I ended up having an emergency cesarean with Lucy and had a postpartum hemorrhage and was just done well. So I think it took quite a long time for my milk to come in. But that was stressful, <laughs> painful, and your hormones are going crazy and all that yeah.
0: stuff so will you tell us a bit about your birth story um, so sure. I think you said recently you were 41 plus
1: two,
0: uh, plus two.
1: Mm, so I was here yeah, nine days overdue so Lucy was due the 31st of July uh, and I ended up being induced um, because I'd gone post dates I suppose um, yeah. on the morning of the 9th of August so I was um, I was actually surprised at how calm I was. I was frustrated, but how calm I was in those days post my duty, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I had anticipated that I would be quite um, anxious. I'm not a particularly anxious person by nature. But as you know, my mother, I have the personal experience that my mother had a baby overdue who was a neonatal death. My younger sister died very soon after birth as a complication of being in distress. Yeah. So I'd said to my baby the entire way along, because I, I had a dream pregnancy, but I said, when I get to my due date, just be aware this is probably going to be my Achilles heel. I'm not going to like being overdue. And I was surprised because I actually managed it okay. And I did have quite a few um, appointments with him in in that week that I was overdue, I suppose, where he was just sort of like, you're doing well, you're doing well, you're doing well. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was. I was fine. I really didn't want to be induced at all. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But in the end, I was very accepting of it because we ended up inducing her on a uh, Friday morning. And so the other option was that I wait until the Monday, yeah. um, in which case it would have been twelve days overdue. So I yeah. elected to go the morning. Um, <coughs> I went in on the Friday morning. He'd done a check the day before, and I was already two centimeters dilated and um, favorable, I guess they say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I I didn't need, um, <laughs> any of the, the dilating gel or anything. I didn't need any of that. Okay. I just went in it I think we went in early, like seven o'clock on the Friday morning, and they broke my waters. Yeah, and
0: and how um, did that go? Did you have like a lot of water? Like
1: a lot of water came out, yeah. but I would, yeah, and it was meconium free, which was great because that was my real yeah. thing. Like, the baby's in distress, oh gosh. Um, mm-hmm. but it all looked good, and um, one thing these the the messy business of childbirth i just didn't realize i thought your waters break and it's all gone and that just Everything wasn't keep a coming <laughs> just running down your legs for hours so that was my first thing of like oh okay this is going to be messier than i thought which is stupid. yeah but they broke my waters um about 7 seven thirty, and then maybe an hour later ran the drip so i got put on the yeah
0: that's um, quite nice that they gave you that time
1: um yeah, so, yeah. They gave me lots of things. nice trust yeah because i really my in terms of um what i wanted if possible for my birth in the during my pregnancy i really wanted to go into spontaneous labor a eh? yeah and I, I really wanted to labor for as long as i could at home and obviously in being hospital induction neither of those things were going to happen i was yeah in the hospital a while to go and it wasn't spontaneous um so yeah i i did ask that they just give me a little bit of time after they broke my membranes just to see mm. nothing was really happening um so do you think something. um
0: working in health yourself gave you more confidence when communicating your needs to other health staff
1: i definitely think so um and i Think in some ways, they maybe knew that I wasn't totally like I did have a, a level of health literacy that I understood a bit of what was going on, um, yeah. although I've never been before, and so so much of it was new and I was so reliant on them. I did understand things like the heart rate of the baby and what yeah. what things meant, what different terms meant. So yeah, I, I I definitely think it empowered me though to be a little bit more of an advocate for myself and mm. just stand up and say, oh, no. Um, yeah, so then they, they did put the drip in. And for a couple of hours, I was quite comfortable. I was cramping. I, I, contractions started quite regularly, quite quickly, but they were definitely within my comfort level for a couple of hours. Um, and then mid-morning, they really started ramping up. So probably by about 11 o'clock. Yeah, They were four every 10 minutes and they were like, I was having to really breathe through them and um, I was on the exercise ball and trying to change position. One thing that I, I didn't like was because I was induced, I had to have the the CTG on. um, Yeah. You can feel
0: quite pulled in either direction.
1: Yeah. Like I was, I just felt a bit contained and they didn't have a mobile CTG. It was broken or something. Yeah. So I really could only walk like a, as five metres, or oh, not even, like mm. two metres sort of. So I was sort of on the ball and on the bed and sort of walking to the end of the bed. But I, was, I felt really quite contained. Yeah. And I really struggled with that. All I wanted was to have a shower or a bath and I couldn't. And it, it really got me. Like I just, it was almost yeah, I don't know, uh, mm. uh, an urge that I just wanted warm water on me. Yeah. And to that I just, I was getting really restless and trying to keep moving because I'm quite an active person anyway. And the idea yeah. of just sort of sitting letting it happen, just I needed to move. Um, yeah, but so we just, so I'd been two centimetres dilated that morning when they'd broken my waters. And I I don't really remember having any vaginal exams during the day i was just sort of going and yeah interactions were getting more and more intense i um at one point i tried the gas and air and hated it i must say through my labor i was really i was vomiting like it was making me really nauseous. tried the the gas and just brought it all up (laughs) it was just really sick (laughs) yeah no thank you not that bit um, and then my GP came back, my doctor came back. The midwives were brilliant. They were, you know, getting heat packs and yeah, trying to good. coach me through, you know, um, try this position, try that position. And I just couldn't get comfortable. Like I was mm. really powerless. Um, But went to about five o'clock and he came back and did a check. And at this point, contractions were really quite solid. I think I was having four or five in every 10 minutes and they were lasting like a minute. So it was like a minute on. 45 seconds off a minute on 45 seconds off, you know, um, he came and did another check at five o'clock and I was still two centimeters dilated. I hadn't changed in the 10 hours that I've been going. And I look back now and I see that was the tipping point where I just went, oh my goodness, I don't know how I'm going to do this because yeah. it will up until that point it had been a real mental game and it is i actually think i've heard so many people say that labor and birth isn't about control it's about surrender yeah and just letting your body go um and i had gone into it not wanting not having a particularly firm plan just wanting to go with the flow but at that point when he said you haven't progressed at all like you haven't dilated anymore i looked Back and I think, yeah, that was the point where I went, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Mm. Um, so then I asked for an epidural. Yeah. And that was actually the one point where I lost a bit of my strength because they didn't want to give it to me straight up. Like they wanted to, and I understand why, they wanted to talk to me about maybe um, trying the gas again and I said no and they suggested morphine and I said no and they suggested the sterile water injection. Yeah. But I, I just at that point, I just wanted the epidural. I was tired. I hadn't slept much the night before because I knew I was getting induced in the morning. And mm. I, so I got the epidural about six o'clock, um, which was lovely. Like it really, yeah, gave me, and you know, it it really did, you know, totally took away the pain and all that stuff. Um, and then my doctor came back about eight thirty in the evening. Because um, when they gave me the epidural they of course turned the the drip way up, so it wouldn't yeah. really hope progress my labor because I know epidurals can slow things yeah uh, but he came back again about 8 thirty and I still hadn't progressed. I was still at two centimeters dilated and mm. he was really good actually he he gave so I wasn't an emergency c-section I, sh- I said that earlier but I wasn't I was an unplanned c-section I suppose, but he yeah. did say to me. You're not progressing. He's like, I. He did a um, internal and he said, I can't tell why you're not progressing. He said, you look like you should. You're overdue. Everything's ready.
2: Yeah.
1: He said, we. These are our options. He said, you can keep going. He said, it's. He said, but my feeling is that this is going to end in a cesarean section. Either way, he said, we either go now. He said or my feeling is we'll probably be doing a c-section in the wee hours of tomorrow morning yeah Uh, he said but baby's happy enough um if you want to keep going you can keep going and i just looked at my partner and said i want i want to meet her now like i want her to come now yeah i don't don't want to keep doing this like so at this point it had been 14 hours and
0: that's a big deal
1: It was, and I just thought, and my mum didn't progress in labour either. I was a C-section for the exact same reason, like I just didn't. Yeah. She didn't, um, so I thought, yeah, no, let's just do it. So I felt really, I, the decision was entirely mine and it was there. And I, 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 in hindsight, I've looked back and thought, oh, what would have happened had I just kept going? Yeah. But I think after, after hearing that I wasn't progressing, I just... I felt a bit defeated, and I, I wanted to take a bit of the control back. I wanted to be the one that said no, let's do it now. Yeah, and <laughs> it was very quick. Um, I yeah, I, I think I consented about quarter past eight in the evening, eight thirty maybe, and she was born just after nine. Like, oh wow! Human. Yeah, um, I suppose. Do they the-
0: change spaces? Like, go to another yeah. area of the hospital?
1: Surgery. Like, there's a a um. Uh, yeah, a surgical, a theatre, that's what I'm trying to say, a a theatre. So they, um, yeah, and one of the good things about being a a small town is because no-one was actually on site, so they called in all the staff that needed to come into the theatre.
2: Yeah.
1: And they were all called in about 15 minutes. And, yeah, so they wheeled me up to the theatre and one of the things I didn't realise is that maybe it's just my experience, but Dad, like, my partner couldn't come in initially, so they sort of wheeled me in by myself. And he went off, I guess, and he put on scrubs and stuff.
2: But oh, I yeah. didn't bring
1: him <clears throat> just before they were doing the actual cutting. So I was there for a little while
2: yeah,
1: just with the, the staff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I had a really good experience there. They were all really friendly. I knew them, so that helped.
2: Yeah, that would
1: and, help. Um, yeah. They, um, yeah, topped up my epidural, which I'd already had, obviously. So they just gave me a bit more. And my, my partner came in and she was here. And after having a baby that was having extra um, scans for possible growth restriction, she was a total bunter. She came out at just <laughs> a healer. And healthy bunter as is a sweet. fantastic word. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. She was just such a bonny babe. And, yeah. Yeah, perfect, really healthy and all that sort of stuff. Um, so she came out and I had skin to skin straight away. And I had her for about 10 minutes on me while they stitched me up. But then I actually had – um, I, I, I actually don't really remember it. But I do remember having the baby on me mm-hmm. and then saying something like, I don't feel very well, or the anaesthetist or the the doctor who was doing the anaesthetic saying to me, are you feeling okay, mia And I'm, I just don't really remember. But suddenly the baby was off yeah. me and I'd had a big postpartum hemorrhage. So I think I lost – it's either 1.5 or 1.7 litres of blood, um, yeah. which is quite horrible. um, Ancho. yeah, um, yeah. And so then they stitched me back up, and Bub got taken down to maternity with my partner, and yeah. so I well, a couple of hours later, so I was in recovery for a little while without her, which I was, I actually don't people have often said to me oh that must have been so hard but i don't really remember it i think i was just so elated that i'd had the baby and
0: yeah and you've got a moment of skin to skin like um you'd met her
1: i'd met her i knew she was healthy i knew she was well i knew she was with her dad yeah so i was just i remember being really excited and just chatting away and once because i got blood transfusions and you know they they did everything they needed to do to make me healthy, but then I was just drinking apple juice poppers and chatting to people. <laughs> I was fine. I was yeah. so sad. Um, but yeah, and then got wheeled down like about midnight downstairs to to where she wow. was. Yeah, it was all. It was a bit dramatic at the time, but I look back and I think I wouldn't change anything. If I if I could have my perfect birth, that's not what I would have chosen. But yeah. We're both here and both happy and healthy and and it just goes to show that little country hospitals can do those things. You know that's yeah, it's great somewhere that can do cesarean sections and can deal with emergent situations like postpartum hemorrhages and yeah, I don't know. It kind of made me reflect on how great country towns are that we yeah. have skills within us. You know.
0: Because it's not stuff I would have thought about being accessible in country towns before. Um,
2: no, not Like at all. a
0: caesarean, um, in terms of recovery, I'd assume it, it is like having just had a surgery. But as well, it's... Because um, they call it at times like, oh, it's quite a like run-of-the-mill surgery. Like People know what's going on with it. And I guess its availability in the country town hospital, like how accessible they can make it, emphasises that part of it, but that is not to undermine that it would have been something, you know, that would have just taken a bit of extra consideration to recover from.
1: Yeah, certainly. And it is, um, I mean, it is a fairly major surgery, never having been through a vaginal surgery, I don't, uh, sorry, a vaginal birth, I don't know what the recovery is like after that. Um, I, I do feel like, you know, it, it is a surgery. You do have to be a bit yeah. careful in the way you move and, but I, I don't know whether it was those happy birth hormones and all the oxytocin, but I got up the next morning with the nurse to go to the toilet and it hurt, but I, I think I was just so excited and just so relieved yeah. that it was here and that she was healthy. Um, But, yeah, it really, for probably at least two weeks, you're fairly ginger in terms of how much, or I was at least, how much you can move after the C-section. Like, you're pretty careful. And was
0: Glenn able to stay home for a bit after she was born?
1: Yeah. So, very fortunately, um, he had, I think, he had two weeks off work. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And because I, um, Glenn actually has an older daughter, Eve, who is eight, and she lives up with her mum in Ballina. So yes. we had, prior to me having Lucy, we'd planned for Eve to come, sort of oh, two and a half weeks after Lucy was due. Eve yeah. was going to be coming to visit to meet her little sister. Um, so fortunately, that happened. It was a bit. Um, so Lucy ended up only being about five days old when Eve arrived because I was yeah. late. Um, but it was really great then having for Glynn to have his two daughters, you know, together and have a bit of time off work. Mm. With that, so uh, yeah, but he went back to work after about two weeks, I think. But again, one of the fortunate things about being in a country town is he works in Mudgee or around Mudgee, so he was quite close by in terms of being able to drop things off and stuff like that. One of the one of the limitations after a C section is you. I don't know whether it's an old wives' tale, although I was advised not to drive for a while. Um, so I think they say six weeks. Some people say six weeks. My doctor said, um, "Don't drive for a couple of weeks," but he was sort of fairly non-specific about it. Um, and he did say, "Look, the risk to your mental health being totally isolated, which is so ironic now in the in the time of COVID." <laughs> yeah. He say, "Look, the risk to your mental health about not being able to get anywhere um, is greater than the risk of, um, you know." injuring re-injuring yourself. Yeah. But you do have to well, with driving after C section so I did find that quite limiting in that as you know in country towns there's not much around anyway but no in terms of anywhere I can't like there's I can't just walk somewhere like it's a little bit too far to do anything So I was I I was quite reliant I suppose on Glenn to do the shopping and yeah. get me down. And,
0: yeah but yeah it all sounds very reasonable to me (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) not have to do the shopping
1: yeah that's right um in some ways it was nice to just enjoy that bubble at home with lucy and just get when um
0: you live away from your family um which is particularly prevalent for rural um like having visitors is a much bigger deal i think um because its visitors for quite a substantial amount of time um, yes. and there's like a bit more um you know it, you're not just having someone over for a cuppa you're often thinking of like lunch and dinner and da, 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 and all the different yeah. things like how did you find um postpartum did did people come and visit did
1: um, yeah. You don't, yeah, so they did. And you're, you know what, you're, you're right. Because when I've visited girlfriends who've had babies, I've generally dropped into the hospital <clears throat> for 15 minutes and given them yeah. a gift or a bunch of hours and then I've left and then I've been in quite close contact with them, but I probably have only ever seen them in little bite-sized blocks um, yeah. while they're sort of recovering and whatever. <clears throat> and when I had Lucy, my parents came to town Um, the day I had her as did my brother and sister-in-law and two nieces. Um, they were all, I had Lucy on a Friday night. They were here that weekend. Um, they weren't staying with us. I was in hospital anyway. They were staying at, at hotels and stuff. Um, so they saw me while I was in hospital and that was fine. My mum ended up staying. Um, I think she was in town for a week. Um, maybe. Um, but she, again, I actually found that quite helpful. I was in hospital for five days, so it was okay. really only, um, for two days after I went home, but she was great help. And like, i I'm really close with my mum, so she yeah. was able to help with, you know, normalising some of my things about feeding. And I, I did get the, the day I got home, my milk came in. So at day five, it was a bit late, but I did get a bit yeah. of the baby blues where I just, you know. Yeah. Was it wasn't anything. I didn't have postnatal depression or anything, but it was just that moment where your hormones are at their peak, and I, I did find that good. But it was hard having other people in the house around. Um, mm. And then I had my very very close girlfriends. Um, two of them came up two four weeks after I no two weeks after I had Lucy. They came, and again, no one stayed with us the whole time. But yeah. I live four hours away from them. So they'd made the journey out here. Mm. So you can't really just see them. And I didn't want to just see them once for 15 minutes. They were in town. It was the only time I was going to see them in potentially months. So you are sort of with a very, very new baby trying to plan for. Mm, more. Yeah. Like I was going out to wineries with them and I was going to the pub for lunch and cause yeah. I wanted to and they wanted to see me but there is a pressure to i didn't feel it at the time i wanted to do it at the time i don't regret it now but it is difficult because you're right when people come to visit they're here and you also also soak each other up as much as you possibly can in that time yeah but it's, it's hard it's hard being far away i had another group of friends come when Lucy was four weeks old and then another girlfriend come when Lucy was six weeks old and my parents in law came yeah in there somewhere too. Again, yeah. no one stayed, there, but it is yeah hard. They're big
0: visits, like because I, I work and, at the local school, like so there's teachers, and so we can just go for a cup of coffee. But Yes. Yeah. and I can release myself from that whenever I needed to. So like if. I'd gone out and if it was 15 minutes is a great amount of time. Like if that was all I could give, it wouldn't matter because I wasn't putting anyone out. They hadn't booked accommodation. They hadn't um, put like hours into driving to come see me and then they didn't have a time limit like when they had to leave town. So,
1: yes.
0: yeah, so there is an wrong. additional pressure to filling other people's needs and it's also your need, but it's it's still yeah. pressure.
1: And it certainly was my need. I desperately wanted to see my friends and my close family during that time. And I wanted them to meet my daughter. But you're right. You've really hit the nail on the head. There is a, a pressure to, to soak up all that time on both sides to, to yeah. make the most of it, that when, when they'd leave, you would feel depleted. And it was probably depleted emotionally because I was sad to see them go because, again, it was back yeah. to just being me. Because um, they are my village, and they're hitting the road and they're driving away. Yeah, but I was exhausted. You know, like mm. we were tired. But and I like they're, they're still- the people
0: that are more likely as well to be this someone who might offer to, because living away from family and like friends who I've known for decades, um, there were less people who would drop in and be like, "I will hold the baby, you go shower, or you do what you need to do," or like. Um, I'll cook you, some, or here's some dinner, um, was not really a reality that I experienced a hell of a lot of.
1: No, um, absolutely right. Those, those women, the women that visited me were those people. They were the people that had they lived around the corner, would have been the ones holding the baby so I could have a shower or coming in and vacuuming for me, <laughs> you know, yeah, like doing that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they, I mean they were all beautiful, they, there was no pressure when they came. They were so thoughtful of me and considerate of me, and they they didn't put a, a single ounce of pressure on me to mm-hmm. see them or just additional time with them. and they were so helpful. and they did bring they all brought food, and you know, my freezer was full. but yeah, I think those even the after I'd had the baby for a little while, I had to go and I had to go to the dentist or someone. Something and I didn't. You don't have anyone to leave the baby with. Yeah. The as at work. I, mean, I really don't have those people. Like I don't have my mom or my mother-in-law or a really close girlfriend that I can just say, "Here, I've expressed some breast milk. Can you hold the baby? Can you mind the baby for a couple of hours? I need to go to the dentist." Yeah. So I think that is one of the real. And there's people who are isolated, no matter where they live. But it is specifically harder when you're rural. Yeah, because people can't just travel.
0: Yeah, and I feel fine asking someone to travel an hour. You know, that's one side of Sydney to the other. That's right. But asking someone to travel four or five, <laughs> you, yeah. you then need them to stay overnight. You need to put them up, and it's it's a different thing.
1: Oh, absolutely, and it's, I I've also found now because um, Lucy's now nine months old. But if I do have something on that I need help with because my mum and mother-in-law and dad and father-in-law are all happy to help as but as are my friends but I almost find that when they are coming I really want to consolidate I don't want them to have to come and go too much so I will book a haircut and the dentist and my tax return (laughs) like all over the space of two days just so they probably think yeah. I'm a real absent mother because I basically just palm the baby, <laughs> off, the baby.
0: off I go lady but of leisure. That, <laughs>
1: because it is and I do have some great friends out here in Mudgee now yeah I've made some really good connections particularly since having Bub. <clears throat> but it's difficult like you you're isolated from your your people I suppose
0: yeah so how did you navigate without being like a old name of the town, you know, with all the familial connections since forever, um, making connections and friends after having given birth.
1: Yeah, so I did have a couple of friends um, that I'd made from work um, prior to having the baby, but since I've had bub, um, when, when Lucy was about four weeks old, our community... Child and family nursing. Um, we're running a new parents group, mothers group, yeah. um, and being quite a small town, they don't run them particularly regularly. It's not like in the city mm-hmm. metro place they run them sort of every two weeks. They start a new one. Um, so there was a, an intake happening when Lucy was about three or four weeks old, which is a bit earlier than people
2: yeah. are
1: usually, around. but I was just so keen to go, and I was so fortunate that there is a mothers group where I, mm-hmm. or a new parent where I live because I know a lot of rural places don't have them or they're having to travel too far that they yeah. practicable to do it. But so I started a mother's group when Lucy was four weeks old and there was a group of eight of us. Um, and all having been, given
0: birth around the same time?
1: Yeah, so within the period, there's a two-month. Lucy was sort of one of the youngest. There was one bub a couple yep. of days younger than me but um, they're all, yeah, within about an eight-week period uh all these babies so they're now yeah about 11 between 9 and 11 months old now yeah and it was really a lifeline so they're a, a group of eight women who are you know in some ways the main thing we all have in common is that we have just had a baby you know they're not people necessarily that I would have come across or, or yeah. friendships um just um yeah support we have like a a facebook whatsapp group that we just constantly message on and in the light of COVID, now we haven't seen each other in a couple of months we've Mm. run into each other (laughs) yeah it was really great um and then i've also one girl from work who i wasn't particularly close with prior to having a baby she's had a baby also her baby's just turned one and so I've become really close with her as well mm. so really in terms of being in a, a country town my friendship circles and acquaintances have really opened up since having a baby and I yeah I really just try and be a support and gain support from that group of people um, yeah it's nice just to have someone to say you know I don't know what to feed my baby for lunch. What are you guys feeding bubs or whatever? Is this normal? Is that normal?
0: Because there's a a big amount of what's kind of just, and I don't want to like gender bias it, like because it could be dad's knowledge as well, but there is this like mass of mother's knowledge or parent knowledge that's just held on (laughs) to. You can read about it. Oh my God, I've spent so much time on Google. Like I swear I open up the weirdest articles at times.
1: That's right. And I've, I've often joked that in the first six months of a baby's life, if every new mother hasn't Googled baby sleep, why is my baby not sleeping? How much sleep is a baby supposed to have? How do I get my baby to sleep? Like it's, It's like a puzzle for which there is no answer. Like it's like a puzzle that never entirely fits together. And I feel like just having other people to normalise that and go, yeah, my baby only ever sleeps 20 minutes at a time too. Or finally she's started sleeping an hour and a half or whatever it might be. Just to hear that you're not the only one because you do Google stuff like baby sleep and they say baby will be sleeping an hour and a half of the morning and Mm. an hour and a half of the evening and then 12 hours overnight you sort of think well that's not what my baby does my baby sleeps 45 minutes and then wakes up and (laughs) well you know they say the whole baby-led weaning versus traditional weaning and they're they're sort of a bit diametrically opposed in terms of what they think and you can get yourself in a total tailspin about what you're going to do and what's best for your baby and
0: and you might read one thing and that's phenomenal that that works. And then someone else never read that article that they read this other one. And so they're doing this, but each person can then suddenly question what they're doing. Like it's this, there's a definite la- lack of confidence that can start to come out. I mean, like just the information, there's a mental load. Someone um, wrote an article about it and you're just holding on to all this stuff mentally. And, every parent's got their mental load as well <laughs> um yeah, it's so needed to be able to unload it you do need not that you you do need your old friends like you need your friends who you can have a lark with and be um you as, as an individual with but you do need parent friends um, to help share That's some that. of that mental load and explore um what the hell is going on at times
1: <laughs> right absolutely and I've and I've found those supports in in a a variety of different places in my mother's group in some of my friends who have older kids um within my family um so obviously my my sister-in-law had a baby two months before me and then I have two cousins that have had babies within (laughs) the year before them so yourself included (laughs) so like within my extended family there's a lot of different connections that I think you you need to have the confidence to seek out sometimes and to ask questions. I
0: think as well, knowledge does slip away um, or was just very different. Like uh, some people of our parents' generation have been really open, like, oh, it was ages ago. I don't really remember what I did at that point. Because honestly with Shan, like I could say, I don't remember what I was doing when he was two months old, something. I was very tired, (laughs) but I don't remember any strategies or anything.
1: (laughs) I have a girlfriend who's, um, she had a baby in uh, earlier this year, maybe December, uh, December, I think. So her baby's now five months old. And it would have been about six weeks ago, she contacted me and sort of said, the baby's just stopped sleeping. Like she just won't sleep at night. And I suddenly thought back and thought, gosh, what was Lucy doing at four months old? I can't even remember. And then just remembered the old four month sleep regression that everyone talks about mm. and thought, oh no, it's okay. That's normal. You'll get through it. You know, look at this, try this. But you're yeah. right. It, even five months later, the knowledge has slipped away, let alone it being 30 or 35 years later mm. that the generation above us not not recalling. I've. Had quite a few older, like generation above us, ladies say that I should be giving the baby um, boiled water from when they were like from when she was really young, and I thought <laughs> that's not what we that's not what we do anymore. But that was obviously yeah. what they did. They used to give the baby sugar water to get them used to bottles mm. and
0: and honey on the dummy. <laughs>
1: now, now it's, it's um
0: botulinum <laughs> is a risk <laughs> that is recognised.
1: So it just constantly evolving and it's the oldest job on the planet parenthood but yet yeah. there's just always still some new way or better way to do things and sometimes i just think people have been doing this since the dawn of time just mm. take it on yourself like you know with the, with the sleeping thing someone once said to me um watch the baby not the clock like watch the baby for when they're looking tired don't worry if it's only been yeah an hour and 15 and they're supposed to have an awake time of an hour and a half. Like if your baby's tired, just put the baby to bed. I thought, yeah, you know what? You're right. We've just got to sort of chill out a bit and take mm. on information, but not be totally driven by what we're supposed to be doing. Just Did you um,
0: read lots of books or like, were there podcasts that particularly kind of struck a chord with you?
1: Yeah, I listened during my pregnancy, I listened to um, a lot of Sophie Walker and Australian birth stories. Yeah, me too. <laughs> hear um, about different births and just sort of, I suppose, get an idea of all the different avenues that it can go. Um, mm. And I found it quite meditative just listening to women's birth stories. Like I, I really, and even now, I still listen to. I still listen to it every now and then. Yeah, really
0: I have put on her most recent episode because it was about a woman who's had like a really fast birth and then a not fast birth and I'm just like, oh, I'm so interested to hear how everything's different. It's a total tapestry.
1: Yes. And cuz she that that woman had a really fast birth first off, quite like yourself. yeah then a arduous birth second, which you usually hear the reverse. Like everyone yeah. says second babies Always come quicker and they're always easier. Anyway, and that uh, yeah, so
0: podcast I'm, is phenomenal because, like, with those women sharing their stories, yeah. I think with motherhood and everything, there's so much about reassurance. So, yes. like, it's just like this reassuring thing, hearing that woman's birth story to go, ah, oh, well, okay, that's a possibility. Cool. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. have any problem with the fact that it is a possibility, but it's like just now added to the equation because i've heard this yeah. awesome anecdotal example to go
2: yeah different
1: yeah, absolutely that's right so I, I did listen to a lot of that i um i do have a science background so i work in health i'm an occupational therapist i listened to a bit of while i was pregnant i listened to I can't remember the name of it but it was like an evidence-based mm-hmm. um pregnancy thing because one of my concerns was i was classed as a geriatric mother. So I was 35 when I fell pregnant with Lucy and 36 when I gave birth to her. And, yeah, 36. Um, and so I just was interested in advanced maternal age and,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that sort of stuff. So I listened to quite a few evidence-based things about what my actual risks were. I was right on the cusp of being at a high risk at 35, yeah. but just wanting to listen to that. Um, and then the one that I've listened to a little bit since having Lucy is um, uh, Naomi Chrysalakis' Tales of the Fourth Trimester, is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, which is a lot about the journey into matrescence and embracing motherhood. And I've found that quite normalising too, just in terms of the feelings mm. and feeding and that sort of stuff.
0: And yeah. it is in a way like adolescence all over again, but in a different way.
1: Um, Yes, you've in, been uprooted, in, 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 <laughs> like. Yes, and again, not wanting to be making vast generalisations in terms of gender, but in terms of when when Glenn started going back to work, his his life has been upended entirely. And I'm not taking away from what having a baby means for him, um, but he, his day to day life mm. when he leaves the house is pretty much the same. He he leaves the house, he goes to work, he comes back. For for myself being a first-time mum, everything has shifted. Your life and your body are suddenly for someone else. And, um, yeah, I I did find it a really big transition. And so I think podcasts like that Tales of the Fourth Trimester just helped to normalise it and to hear other women's stories because it is like (laughs) adolescence. It is like this total transition, and your hormones are flooding you. And yeah, I did, I did find it really helpful to have other women's voices in my head, I suppose. I did find podcasts an easier medium to gain information from. I got given quite a few um, books. I got given a baby led weaning book. I got given, is it Ina May's Guide to? I didn't have childbirth, I had breastfeeding. Um, yeah. I got given. The first six weeks by midwife cat. I got given um, "Save our Sleep" by Tizzy Hall, which I just was far too prescriptive for me. I've yeah, people who I just it's not my it's not my scene. Um, it, it wasn't my I,
0: book either. It's also a book that I was given, but um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um. So I, but I found I think just. The the medium of podcasts and hearing them, like just not having to sort of totally concentrate but just have that sort of voice coming through. I found almost, yeah, meditative for work just prior to giving birth. I used to drive a lot. I used to travel to Orange and Dubbo and Bathurst quite a lot. So I would just have a podcast in the car and just listen to a birth story or or something, yeah, so... They're a really nice, like,
0: non-judgmental medium as well because you might not connect yeah. with every woman's story the same way, but then there'll be another one that you will connect with, and it's so pressure-free because you're just listening.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you just—it's just sort of washing over you this information. And if I've learned anything about birth and motherhood, it's just that every, although there's so many similarities and so much shared experience, there's so many different experiences and. Everyone has different experiences and different feelings about their journey into motherhood and their birth. And I, yeah, I don't know, I, I love hearing all of it. I love hearing about people's birth stories and how they're going with motherhood. Cause I think we need to, I just think women are amazing. Well, look at what we do, we, <laughs> yeah. you know, like let's celebrate us for doing it. And the day after mother's day, it's a, a great time to reflect on.
0: I know, it's a really nice time to be talking to you. I was really excited to be recording today.
1: Yeah, so I do yeah, I do really think the podcast medium's the way forward. Yeah, anyway.
0: And postpartum I found oh I could always talk to other mothers actually. That was never a problem. But I think I felt a pressure that I was gonna be so uninteresting to other people. Mm -hmm. Like, they asked the question, oh, what's new? And I'd say nothing. But really, what was new might have been, like, that I was doing... I was breastfeeding and maybe, like, this thing happened with my, I don't know, breast. Or, like, I
2: yeah,
0: uh, finally stopped leaking through my tops or, like, something. <laughs> and I felt like I was always able to have that conversation with another mother. But I was... um Or father. Like, honestly, no problem there's a brilliant dad at the local playgroup, and we've talked so much about breastfeeding and breasts and what happens he had great feedback on like um good breastfeeding bras as well he was all over it Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but listening to a podcast actually became almost because it was a bit socially isolating being rural a social outlet and I didn't have to fill it at all I could just take it in.
1: Yeah, you're right. It almost becomes like a conversation where nothing's expected of you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and particularly
0: night. Tales of the Fourth Trimester was one I spent a lot of time listening to and felt oh. probably a bit of social fulfilment by having done it.
1: That's right. Actually, I would I would listen to Tales of the Fourth Trimester because um Naomi, who runs it, is a Postpartum doula—is that what she calls herself? Yeah. I just thought, oh, how much I would love to have a woman just looking after me and nurturing me and bringing meals and that sort of thing. Like I thought, oh, what a beautiful idea mm. to a, a woman support person in that postpartum period. But I am. Um, yeah, I agree. And I yeah. also used to find too. I didn't. I, as I I suppose became more confident in parenthood and with the actual logistics of being a mum in terms of feeding and sleeping and that sort of thing I have begun to crave when I'm actually with people to talk about something that's not the baby if that makes sense like I sort of engage a bit more in life outside of my bubble which is why I think I've really enjoyed the podcasts for still engaging in that motherhood bubble but not having to talk about it not that we can go to the pub anyway but not having to talk about it over dinner with friends you know yeah I, I've, yeah I've, i feel like that space i can sort of still keep separate if that makes sense
2: yeah absolutely <clears throat>
1: um
0: so it seems like particularly Mudgy like had they were on the ball with their mother's yeah. group and stuff so did they um engage you with the maternal child health nurse quite quickly after birth
1: yes very quickly actually um so i think someone came to the house about three days after i got home yeah maybe or lucy would have been oh maybe two or three days lucy would have been about a week old when they came to the house and um they did her weight and they checked in on me and sort of asked me a lot of the questions about oh that they did the edinburgh depression scale with me and talked about how i was I think they did three visits to the house. So at a week. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was really good. And they were the ones that gave me the information about the new parents group that they were also running um, at Mm -hmm. the community centre. Yeah. So, and so for our new parents group, they had maybe four or five weeks. The first four or five weeks were um, organised education, so they did one yeah. on, um, they did one on maybe breastfeeding. They did another one on sleep and, um, oh yeah, they did one on like social work on parenting and they did another one on diet. Like a dietitian came and mm. it was not only a forum for discussion and networking, but it was also a yeah education sessions I guess. But from then on, it's just it's not an organised thing in terms of my catching up with that core group of women it's just been a social thing Like we just meet up at the park yeah. or not for coffee or go for a walk or something
0: and so you said you had like four or five sessions was that over four or five weeks or was yeah, it um spread out
1: it was every thursday um from like yeah. 10 to 12 maybe or 10 yeah around then and um yeah. it was an hour and a half that was easy enough like sort of bite-sized enough that you could it was manageable with the baby because they're a little baby, um, yeah. could go almost. yeah and I, I actually found um Lucy was only about three weeks old or four weeks old when I started going it was sort of a, a really easy entry into breastfeeding in public because I was quite happy to breastfeed mm. in public have I was I knew I was going to have to do it because I wanted to breastfeed I was able to breastfeed and I want to get out of the house but it was yeah a space where because you know what it's like when you sit first time to breastfeed it's messy and you're trying to work out positions and your boobs are leaking and you know it was nice to just sit in a room of seven or eight women who are doing exactly the same thing and not having to worry about getting your muslin cloth in the right place or covering yourself up and just sort of muddling through it together yeah Um, so it was it was good and it was you know bite-sized enough amount of time that it wasn't too much of an impulse to get out of the house and you
0: know, yeah and it seems it. like you know by going and having that as that early social reaction as uh, so a social interaction you yes. wouldn't have had to have been like feel like you had to be very prepared you know like would have been fine if you forgot your baby wipes or whatever someone in the group would have had your back
1: that's right and they said um the, the nurses said to us, you know, like, don't worry if your baby's crying. Like, babies cry. It's okay. Just walk up to the back of the room or pat them or put them in the pram or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. It's This, yeah. isn't, a, this isn't a lecture. Like, yeah. you don't have to be quiet. If you need to go, go. If you, need to come, you know, just it was all yeah. very supportive and easy. So I do And just like them having
0: organised something means that you don't have any pressure to fill the space either.
1: That's right.
0: Was it able to descend into a forum if you guys wanted to talk?
1: Yes, certainly. And so it did become quite a bit of a discussion forum, Um, particularly after a couple of weeks. Like, I think initially we were all just a bit shell-shocked and just there to listen. Um, But then as we got to know each other a bit better and became a bit more comfortable expressing different experiences and opinions, then it sort of, yeah... We were able to share our experiences a bit more, which was quite bonding, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Just hearing there was a couple of women who either chose not to breastfeed or weren't able to breastfeed and, and so were formula feeding. And I suppose I'd never really thought about it, but they were expressing their experiences in terms of feeling levels of judgment within yeah. um, their experience of the way they feed their child. And I think it actually, I know it helped one of them in particular when the response she got from the other women in the room was, you know, you have to do what's right for you and your baby. It has nothing to do with me. i mm. choose to do your baby. And I think she said afterwards that she actually needed to hear that because so much of the judgment that she thought was going on was in her head because she wished that she was breastfeeding, you know. So yeah. I think just in breaking down some of these barriers a little bit because it mm. hadn't crossed my mind what this woman was doing with her baby and yeah. how she was feeding or her like I, I it makes no difference to me and I think if we can find those areas or those forums of just non-judgment and support then it's kind of what we need we need to facilitate those and yeah they are so important that's a really
0: good things. point because like no matter where you are located you need that forum you need that non-judgment you need that support and yeah, I think that's brilliant that Mudgee is one of the rural towns that's offering mothers' groups, yeah, and it's, it doesn't have to be an overly complicated thing because clearly you guys took it up. Like yeah. they pick a topic, and it's like cool, we'll talk about this, but it could that's shift right. and change and snake into being about other
2: things.
1: That's right, and a lot of a lot of the education sessions. One of the the strongest thing themes that I realised about it was uh, or that they taught us was about um, in terms of developmental milestones and the breadth of normal in inverted commas, like that some kids sit at four months, some kids sit at six months, some kids crawl at six months, kids crawl at nine months. Walking happens over a course of, there's about a 10-month area of normal. Some kids walk at nine months old. Some kids don't walk until they're 17 months old, like Hmm. just, don't don't have a ticker box in terms of milestones and get overly concerned if your baby's not meeting them at the minimum age. And while they were keen for us to keep an eye on meeting milestones and and certainly encouraging us to keep up our appointments with doctors and in terms of vaccinations and stuff, it was there was a real theme of every baby's different. You yeah. know your baby. You just You just worry about your baby and your and you and your family, and yeah, I I thought that was good because there were, I think again going back to how much information's out there, you can get really boggled by, what's my baby doing? Is my baby normal? Mm. You know, (laughs) it's saying that my baby should be eating minced or you know strips of chicken, but every time I try and give her strips of chicken, she gags on it, or you know like yeah, just get totally dumbfounded by how much information's out there
0: sounds like they had really nice support for mother's intuition or parent intuition
1: oh, parents, yeah. Parent, yeah again parents intuition <laughs> and I a mother's group and it, it was and it was a new parents group I suppose it's just it was it happened to be all mums yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um
0: and how I think did it transition from um being that group where you guys were gathered together to then you gathering yourselves together
1: Like, how did you guys organise that? So it sort of just happened quite organically um, with a little bit of a push from the community nurse. So at the end of the four weeks, they had a form that went around where um, the the nurse had sort of said, oh, look, if you would like to stay in contact, like, write your name and phone number and email address um, on this. And so that sort of went around, and then we all got a copy of that. And so then we all had this piece of paper with these phone numbers and... Mm email addresses on it and then the community nurse actually said look we've found in the past that women have made like a Facebook group and like use that as a form and so I think it was one of the more outgoing women in the group said well I'll just set it up today and like it just sort of (laughs) happened yeah great sometimes take that um well not an alpha she's not an alpha necessarily but just that person to go Let's do it. Like, let's set yeah. up and I'll just...
0: we've all got different skills and if she's got that fabulous right. skill of we've being got... a generator, then
1: good. Generator, yeah. that's right. Um, and then from then on, it's just we kept the same time. So on that last formal organised mother's group session, yeah. um, we just said, you want to just meet next Thursday at the same time. Um, so initially we tried out going to coffee shop I think that had enough room for seven Prams. Um yep. but then <laughs> but then as the babies got bigger and more mobile that sort of morphed into going to the park and just yes. it was lovely. So just sitting and getting takeaway coffees and having the kids crawl and roll around in the, the park and we did we went to the pool a couple of times. It just it was really organic and there's no pressure. You come if you can, you don't come if you can't. Some days there were two of us, some days there were eight of us. Yeah. It
2: was
1: very, very, um, yeah, it was, it was all very organic. I actually hope, because it has lost a bit of momentum in terms of obviously seeing each other with mm. COVID-19, I do hope that when we're able to, which hopefully is very soon, but, yeah. um, that we can do organise to continue to catch up again because mm. um, it, it was lovely. It was lovely even if it was only for an hour just to sit with other mums and and watch the babies interact together too like it's it's i think it's really good for little kids to see other little kids other little babies and
0: yeah they're inspiring each other as well and they're so curious about (laughs) what the other child's doing or they see like your kid might have the capacity to stack some blocks and then the other kid might have the capacity to shove the shape through the thing and then That's
1: they go, fine. oh, cool. Absolutely. And I was inspired. Like I try not to buy too many toys for Lucy because she's only little really, she doesn't need that many. But it yeah. was great to go um, on. There'd always be something that she would really take her eye. I remember one day there was this like um ruddly thing that she loved. She was obsessed with it. And it was great to say to this other mum, where did you get that from? And, of course, it was big W or, you know, it was somewhere really yeah. simple. But it was so easy then to just pop over to Big W and finally see her own little rattling thing. And yeah, it's it's constant learning and you can't preempt everything that your kid's gonna want or need. And sometimes it is finding it out the back way and by accident, you know, different ideas. And I loved the conversations about, you know, what are you getting your baby for Christmas and all that sort of stuff. Where do you buy swim nappies Mm -hmm. from? (laughs) Where do you do? all
2: that stuff where'd you get your
1: pram
0: liner from we were always um at playgroup trying on each other's kids shoes like trying to navigate what shoe to get your kid and trying to navigate kids shoe sizes is really hard and often being in a small rural town you're not wanting to travel into Canberra and make your kid try on shoes in store. So, by trying on the other kids' shoes at the park, um, right. we were then able to order online.
1: <laughs> Actually, it's so funny you say that because Lucy, my little one, is nine months old. So she's not yet um, walking. Um,
2: yeah.
1: she does. She's just out of childcare, so she does need a pair of like soft soled pre-walker sort of shoes because yeah. Lucky well, is quite like Braidwood cold at the moment yep. colder so she needs something on a feed because she can just yank socks off but but kids shoes are a minefield i'm trying to like measure yeah. the length of and i'm like is it nine and a half centimeters is it 10 centimeters i don't yeah. know what's going to grow in the two weeks it takes for the shoes to get here do i buy bigger shoes yeah yeah Who knows? so i, I can see that that would be really helpful i need to <laughs> <Break>. <laughs> when quarantine breaks i need to go and try on some other kids shoes yeah, yeah and that, actually that is one of the um like you said that is one of the harder things about being in a rural town is the accessibility to specialised stuff like that like i yeah I anywhere to buy good baby shoes here in town and, and I, I don't just, want
0: 10 pairs of shoes from a baby i just want <laughs> one, <laughs> pair, of <laughs> shoes, cause one winter, pair of shoes because it's winter and he's yeah Hopefully, one day, going to be walking around at the playground again <laughs> on yeah, the frost.
1: Actually, yeah, that's it. <laughs> further to that actually, when I was pregnant, I found one of the hardest things was in terms of buying your big ticket items. So when we went to buy a pram, or yeah. we needed to buy the car, it was actually like a full day's expedition because we yeah, had to drive.
2: Yeah.
1: to – I totally, I totally forgotten the memory. Of what a big deal it was to have to drive, and the pressure of being in the showroom for you only had an hour, and you had to try all the prams, and there was really no coming back next weekend. Like you, you really had put. Like, I mean, I know they're all the same. It doesn't really matter what pram you buy. Yeah, all that.
2: But mine came
0: from the tip. (laughs) I was really lucky. (laughs) Country tips where people like leave the stuff up the top of the shed and like this is still a good pram i'll just pop it here someone will grab it
1: (laughs) that's right so i am yeah like i do remember that and you have actually in talking about kids i find one of the greatest things about a rural setting is the circular economy people are so keen there is that real sense of community people just pass Mm. on this and stuff there's no you know like i'm looking for a cot oh well he's a cot you know yeah I had a work with who I didn't know very well um because I knew I was having a little girl before I had Lucy just brought into work one day all her her baby six months older than mine just brought in all her babies you know four zero or three zero onesies because she's like oh we don't Mm -hmm. need them anymore he was our last bub I was like, oh okay no basically brand new you know how quickly those babies grow out of their newborn clothes yeah all these onesies I thought, oh gosh and of course I passed them on again because her mm. girlfriend felt pregnant and she was having a little girl so it is really lovely that sense of community um that I think maybe isn't felt as much in the metro centers I think they're probably yeah. passed on in friends or you know families but not just a chick from work you would never just take in all yeah. the baby some lady from work i
0: like people just knock on the front door and they happen to have a bag of baby clothes because we don't have apartment living as much like it's not like there's no um units because we've got some units above shops and stuff in town but people dropping stuff to your front veranda is a very commonplace thing to occur it
1: really is um just last week actually one of the girls from my my mother's group um, messaged around and said oh girls what what are all your addresses I have something to drop off and of course we didn't like she just dropped them on the front door but she just dropped off like a bunch of three proteas for each of Aww. us and was, again we live quite close together some of them live out of town and stuff um but it was it wasn't a it wasn't that big of an impulse to drop off a little bunch of flowers to each of us and they just yeah. said they thinking I to catch up soon but it was so lovely and it did make me feel connected when we're not really connected at the moment. You mm. know? It'll,
0: it'll that is different. a good point in general as well. Like, I think in rural living, people are less likely to say that doing something for you is an impossibility. Like, yeah, that's right. Okay. I have I've felt at times like I'm in kindergarten again, being like, will you be my friend? Can we go for coffee? <laughs> that's um, right. But... People are less likely to say no, and maybe that's mm-hmm. being in your thirties as well. Like I don't know, because mm-hmm. I haven't lived in a city environment for eight years nearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really feel like I'm able to ask for things, and I get told yes, and kind of yes, sit back yes. a bit, aghast at times.
2: Like, oh, good, <laughs> thank yeah, you.
1: Right. I, I agree, and I feel more confident to exactly as you say, say, Oh, do you want to grab a coffee after this? Or there was one time where, when Lucy was a couple of months old, Glyn was away for work or he had to I think he, oh, maybe he was up visiting Eve. And I, I was a, by myself for the two days. Like he was yeah. only away for two days, but I just thought it's one of those things I, I could go without seeing anyone really, if I don't. And I wanted to see someone. So I just messaged one of the mm-hmm. girls from my mother's group and said, you're free for a coffee. And again, she just said yes so we just caught up for a coffee and it was I don't know that I would have done that if I was still living in inner city Sydney I would just because it would have been a bigger deal it would have been and yeah. driving 40 minutes because even yeah. in Sydney if you live in the suburbs away it's still 20 minutes to try and navigate to find somewhere yeah there. you know <laughs> convenient but here or like, because
0: fine. we have no traffic as well, driving 20 yeah. minutes, I'm more likely to drive 20 minutes to catch up with someone who might live in a little rural outskirt area <laughs> in town. I'm like, oh, how lovely. Drive past all the paddocks and the open space. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll drive out. It'll be nice. We'll breathe that air. That's going to be good. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Um, it's funny you say that, actually. Golgong is sort of our next closest locality. It's a, a smaller town again. Yeah. it's about a 25 out. And when Lucy was really little and still sleeping all the time, I would—it's dreadful for the environment, <laughs> but I would <laughs> often fall asleep in the car because we're only about three minutes from Mudgy Town Centre. She'd always fall asleep just as I got her in the car after I'd done the shopping. Yeah. So quite often, I would just um, to keep her asleep, I would drive out to Golgong and call ahead and order a takeaway coffee. So I'd pull <laughs> up and have a coffee and hop back in the car but the round trip was 45 minutes <laughs> and so yeah. she'd get a decent sleep. And it was lovely. Like I would drive and, again, I'd listen to one of my podcasts and it it didn't feel it's – a, it's a distance, but it didn't feel that far. I would quite happily drive out to Golgong for 20 minutes, then battle Parramatta Road. Yes. And try and find a path in town and try and get that oh. baby frame <laughs> out. Sari Hills and, you know, all that stuff that I, I just – I think there's so many positives to living rurally now when I look at it, yeah. I think I, I wouldn't imagine that this is where I would end up and this is where my life and my family would be, but it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great.
0: And definitely Fantastic. from a birth and like early postpartum perspective, it sounds like you've had a lot available to you and um, like a really supportive local network of um, like your local GPOB, your local um, midwives at the hospital, your local maternal child health care nurses seem like they had it, they were on the ball. <laughs> they knew what to create and how to help you guys cultivate that. Because all it sounds like you need is the prompt. And then it's like, oh yeah, well, there's no reason to stop hanging out now. Let's do it.
1: No, that's right. And in in some way, being rural, life doesn't seem to get it life doesn't seem to get in the way as much Um, work doesn't weigh as much everything's there is if I can think of one word that would really describe my whole experience with pregnancy and it would be community because it's just it just felt so much more communal and so much more shared it didn't feel like we were all siloed in different places with different lives it felt like we were sort of sharing this experience um and yeah I The whole experience has sort of been very, um, it's all sort of been one experience in different phases of the same experience. I don't think of my pregnancy as separate to my birth, as separate to my postnatal period. It's all just sort of been the same people, the same experience. Yeah, I don't know. It's the same community. It's the same people all along. It's the same nurses. It's the same doctor. I still go to the same doctor. I still see my GP, of course, because my GP, the person who's delivered Lucy, He's our local GP, so he's the he same person He now continually
0: I sees her and you.
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah. that's right. So it's not like I don't now see him until I choose to have another baby. He's the guy yeah. I go to when I have an ear infection or something. <laughs> yeah, it's,
0: and like speaking of, you know, like I I saw our um, GP slash OB in town when I took Shanley for his vaccinations at one. And just, okay, it's Shanley's vaccination appointment, but at the same time, I can just ask her about a couple of other things as well. Like, there's this little font of knowledge that she holds. So I can just be like, oh, yeah, what was that vitamin thing that I started taking preconception? Like, if I want to, you know, in a few months start taking that again, if I if I want to fall pregnant again. And there's a real accessibility. Like, I don't have to book in and then travel to find her it's because she exists here. I'm so fortunate she exists. Because yeah that's right. We didn't have these GPs who had also got their OB
1: skills. That would be a loss. Yeah absolutely and I suppose in a more Metro center from what I can gather the experiences is is that you go to your GP and then they refer you to your OB, but then you really don't see GP for much pregnancy related stuff at all. Like you then Mm. you're on me, whereas I do feel lucky to have had a closer relationship with my local doctor that does know me and does know Lucy and does know our story, and then that sort of feeds into him being our day-to-day doctor. He, yeah, yeah, you I, I are all positives and that knowledge. I think country GPs are amazing, actually, in terms of what they do. Yeah, you and know,
0: the big bag think, of skills um, that they can pull from.
2: Because
0: yeah. it was your GP did he perform your c-section or was that a yeah, surgeon
1: yeah, wow yeah yeah no, like it's crazy <laughs> um yeah. so there's a, there's i think yeah like i said i think there's four gps in town who do have advanced obstetric skills and and can do cesareans. so he called in another there was another gp there who um came in for the surgery so there were two gps with obstetric skills and there was a gp anaesthetist who did my um yeah. epidural So, but yeah, they're all general practitioners. So amazing, amazing men and women.
0: Well, that would definitely be one of the things, because I was going to ask you what your hot takes and what like takeaways were. Um, But like, is there something that you believe women who are going to give birth as rural women need to know exists?
1: Um, No, I I, I think I'm very fortunate that I live in a town that does have all these resources available. But I think if you are a rural woman who happens to live in a town that doesn't have them, I think it's really important to try and facilitate those connections yourself. So facilitate a good relationship with your local doctor. And I, I think that, I know your experience, you've had this in your experience. I think there's nothing wrong with changing doctors if you don't feel yeah. like you've got a good relationship with yours. I think-
0: It's important um, to feel heard.
1: It's really important to feel heard. And it's really important to remember that while you need to be led by medical advice, always, that this is your experience and this is your birth and that you can say, you can ask questions. You can ask for a second opinion. You can say, do we have to do it that way? Can we wait? I know with my induction, because one of the things about being a rural birth is I think people have to be, or doctors, have to be a little bit risk averse. They have to, because there aren't neonatal ICUs and things available. So they need to try and err on the side of caution in terms of uh, mitigating risk. Yeah. So it would have been easy for me to be induced a couple of days earlier. So to not go to nine days overdue, but I didn't want to, you know, I, I wanted to see if my body could do it. So I think, by asking that question, by saying, can I, can I just wait a couple of days? Um, if, if he thought no, he would have said, no, I think we need to do it today. Yeah. But he didn't. He said, yeah, you're okay. If you're feeling okay, baby's okay, we can wait. So I would just, yeah, say to rural women that they need to try and facilitate those, those good relationships, whether it be with their, their medical team or their midwives or other mothers. Yeah. Just, I think it's all about trying to find your community and trying to build your community. And it might just be for a season. It might only be for a, the period that you're pregnant or the period immediately postpartum. But just finding people <laughs> to help because it, it can be very isolating, as we all know, being yeah. all away from people. So just try and find those, those services and those resources. And ask the questions because like you said with the play group there's you know you shanley i know you said that shan was young when you started going to the playgroup. yeah so about
0: you know, four weeks yeah
1: yeah but it it was about more than him actually playing with the other children it was about you making connections and about that other stuff you know sorry um yeah so I and think it definitely just,
0: felt like breaking a barrier because i was and I think maybe this is a part of um uh, mattress sense as well, at least in my experience, is that maybe I didn't quite know who I was or what to say, or like when I walked in there, it had already started. I was a bit late, because you know, babies, they make you not be on time. <laughs> um, and, I, I had this moment of feeling quite horrified inside, like not knowing what to do. And I'm like, pick him up and sit on the ground. Like, but I had to like tell myself to pick him up and sit on the ground and that it was going to be okay to sit on the ground with a group of people who I didn't know yet. And just pushing through that at four weeks postpartum, which is when I wanted to do it, but it was just recognizing it was still quite hard. And there's, um, yeah, so important to have those opportunities. Um, and I guess to remind yourself that it is going to be safe. Like, that's right. No one is going to turn around and tell you, like, why are you sitting here?
1: No, that's right. And it's not, <laughs> a, <laughs> it's not a contract. You turning up to playgroup once isn't a contract that you have to turn up every week. If it wasn't for you, if it didn't work for you, yeah, then you just don't, you know, it's no one's holding us to anything you just sort of see what works for you and I know one thing that I've really missed is um in this COVID-19 is the, um we were going to the, the local library runs a weekly born to read or you know toddler time reading session and Lucy I would take her every week and it was the baby's one so they would just sing nursery rhymes and I didn't yeah. know anyone one of the girls from my mother's group could come and just rock up and sit with the other mums (laughs) with their babies and you know it's it's I do find babies are the ultimate in conversation starter because even if you have nothing else to talk about you just talk about their baby and they start talking and I don't know yeah and And we have actually
0: all been through something quite incredible together like just through child raising whether you've been raising them for four weeks or you've been raising them for years there is a collective shared experience right there that is such a um, piece of knowledge that it needs to be shared. It has that whole, like, raising kids as a community thing. Um, It's the ultimate conversation starter, really. It
1: really is. And I, I think that I have really embraced, I've always been quite independent, so I've always had close friends. but yeah, I wasn't someone who would just turn up to um, community events and stuff just to make friends. Like, I was quite happy with my own company, I suppose, but I have realised in having a baby how much I relish those connections to women that I may not see again or may see occasionally again or I may become lifelong friends I've, and men too, other parents. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just to take and give what you can to people. And, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think what you said before is about people being more willing to give of themselves. I've found that to be a truth, mm. I suppose. It, it, people just seem to be, I don't know whether it's a rural thing. I don't know whether it's an age of life thing I don't, or a stage of life thing. I don't know whether it's just motherhood and motherhood, but people are, are kind generally. Um, and yeah, I think, Just like I said, taking what you can and giving what you can, been good.
2: Yeah, well, thank you
0: for talking with me and sharing.
1: That was awesome. Um,
0: Yeah,
1: just I could talk all day about motherhood and.
0: (laughs) I know. I swear I could too. Like, it it is just that um, incredible, like transformative uh, thing that has shifted yeah. something internally
2: yeah.
1: um it's um i've been reflecting on it a lot just in the last couple of weeks because i am about to return to work next week and yeah. part of me is also really looking forward to being myth again a little bit and yeah moving not moving away from being lucy's mum. i love being lucy's mum, but i'm ready to embrace that other part of myself again um, yeah and so to myths can run in, in tandem. I think, mm. yeah, I'm looking forward to the next phase of my motherhood journey, which is getting back to the new normal of managing a, a, my career and my family and, yeah, it's an ever-evolving yeah. circus, really.
0: <laughs> and I heard um, when I was returning to work a podcast that said, um, you're actually going to be... Um, workplaces don't always look at it like this or realise, but you're going to be a more phenomenal employee than you ever were because you have the most amazing capacity for multitasking now <laughs> you know, yeah. and prioritising. Your ability right. to go, well, that's just not important. It's um, just enhanced yeah. through the roof.
1: You're right. I, I read an article very many years ago about um, workplace efficacy of staff and stuff and they did say part-time working parents are the most time efficient workers because they have phenomenal prioritization skills and um, yeah they they're able to utilize their time they're there for a specific task and they get it done and get out yeah Um, so they (laughs) they don't tend to be the ones that are going to put in a lot of overtime and still be there at eight o'clock at night they're leaving at three thirty Pick up but they're utilising every single moment that they're there. Yes. So bring it on
0: Thanks so much again to Miffany for sharing her rural birth story of GP shared care, induction c-section and quality postpartum care thanks to the fantastic maternal and child healthcare nurse team in Mudgee. If you would like to share your rural birth story, get in contact with me via Instagram at ruralbirths and I'd love to hear what you have to share. Thanks for